Protection to the Rule, live on Radio Free Brooklyn, your Sunday afternoon news hour. My name is Teresa Robinson. I'll be guiding us today, and I'm here with my team, Emily, Jasmine, Sarah, and Matt. How's it going, guys? hey Hello. Hi. Doing okay. How's everybody feeling? It's been a while since we checked in. We're doing good. We're scattered, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, we have Sarah joining us. Um, yeah. Welcome back. Yeah. Thanks. On the remote. Yeah. The remote. The Sarah, remote where are, are you in Brooklyn or you're elsewhere? I'm actually in Colorado, believe it or not. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm okay. in Yeah, I was with my parents. I was at my parents' house and long story short, I just didn't want to expose them to anything and my friends place out here and I was like, might as well do some hiking this summer. Wow. Uh-huh. All right. Cool. I love Colorado. My best friend lives oh. uh, right outside of Denver. Yeah, it's gorgeous. So beautiful. Awesome. Oh, and I also wanted to emphasize real fast that the New York primaries are coming up and early voting has already begun in New York City. So, um, yeah. So go to vote. Twenty mm-hmm. third, I believe. Right. Yes, yes, is the actual main primary, and I'm not an expert on how early voting works, but you can find out more on vote.nyc. So go make your voice heard. Absolutely. Thanks, Emily, for the reminder. I actually just got finished doing a voter registration drive for my students right before this call, so let's just say it was not a lot of people there. So please go out and vote early, everybody. Yeah, it's important. The primaries, we made this point on previous episodes, but... Uh, because New York State is uh, is so heavily Democratic that the primaries really are the election, because a lot of these races the, in the main erect, uh, election go unopposed. So this is it, you know. If if you want Joe Biden's to run the world, then stay at home. But if you want to, you know, have some influence on the Democratic Party, uh, go for it. <laughs> I mean, Joe uh, Biden's staying at home. It's, it's the whole basement. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's kind of old, but I guess we'll talk about that in the next in the next episode. <laughs> All right, guys. So we have a full show today. So I'm going to go ahead and jump in with a local news story that I'm actually kind of sad to bring to you. Uh, the information that I'm reporting on came from an article in the Daily News. Uh, the author is Tracy Thomas, and also from HeraldMedia.com. And the author is R. Luther Lee. Um, and he is a part of the Atlantic Journal. So ropes tied onto nooses, a terrorizing symbol of lynching commonly carried out in the Jim Crow area, have been placed anonymously in several places around the country in recent days, according to these reports. The latest, Dominique Alexander, was a 27-year-old Bronx resident found in the park near the cloisters around 6 a.m. on June 9th and was pronounced dead at the scene. A pedestrian walking through Fort Tyron Park early on Tuesday morning discovered him hanging from a tree. The city's medical examiner on Tuesday said that the cause of his death was suicide by hanging, but something just does not seem right about that story. Unfortunately, there has been six separate incidents fueling fear and suspicion about the possibility of lynchings but officials have ruled so far that every single case has been a suicide. Since May 27th, a woman, four men, and a teenage boy have been found dead from separate hangings in Portland 
Oregon, South Carolina, Houston, and now New York City. The community has banded together recently for vigils and protests, while authorities continue to say that no foul play has been found. A march calling for an investigation for Alexander's death is planned for Saturday in Fort Tyron Park. So yes, it um, brings me so much sadness to bring the story to you the day before Juneteenth. Um, last week, I did a report on the history of Juneteenth and a few other things that were planned and now have been changed. Um, but honestly, to be reporting on lynchings in 2020, it just really disheartens me. I'm no longer angry from all of the things that I've been reporting. This just brings sadness to my heart to know that um, this is what we are dealing with right now. And I could not imagine, again, as I always say, explaining this to the kids of 2020. Feedback, guys. Anybody? Yeah, I just, I think that this is Jasmine, by the way, if you don't know my voice by now. But it's really the fact that these are all being ruled suicides is, I think, ridiculous. Like, we do know that suicide is on the rise these days, like, for many different reasons. But the idea that a Black person in this country who is unfortunately going to take their own life would choose to do so outdoors from a tree with a rope is just completely makes no sense to me. Um, so I really am hoping that with all the public attention to these very suspicious deaths that we get actual like more information and that they're not just brushed off because it, it doesn't add up in my mind at all for that to be mm -hmm. the actual cause of death. Yeah, I agree. I think the jump to assume suicide is there, there like whenever it, there's a lot of politics in play when there's an assumption on how someone died without a full investigation and you see, you know, different assumptions and different, different things. But I agree that unless there is an absolute full, like, um, investigation, like there should be no assumption made and even lean towards the assumption that there is a perpetrator. Cause you want to make sure that if someone is at fault, if someone purposely did this to another person that they won't do it again. You want to do everything you can to make sure that something like that doesn't happen again. Mm. I, I feel, um, I don't want to, uh, be a contrarian or anything, but a couple of years ago, something like this happened where I'm from and and everyone started sharing the photos because they were saying there was a lynching and, and it had to be one. And the family got really broken up about it because it, it was a suicide. And But there is so much, in this moment, there's so much violence towards black people and and you know other forms of uh lynching actually occurring so yeah i mean it, i don't it's, think it's photos real. yeah i don't think photos should ever like be shown in that sense actually yeah and i you know the family i think will have i mean not always i think assuming that the family knows what's going on with the individual in terms of their likelihood to have committed suicide isn't always like people even close to an individual often don't can't see it you know there's a I mean whatever I I think that regardless like people shouldn't share photos regardless of 
the reason for the death because it is it feels disrespectful. And also, I think there should still be a full investigation. I think mm-hmm. both can happen. Yeah. Well, it, it certainly is on the rise. Uh, Teresa, what was the number? Was it six in the past? Since yeah. May 27th from uh, the article that I read, this has been uh, some common information. And I was actually doing a little bit more further information looking for something about Alexander but um, there was also a noose found hanging in um, Harlem Marcus Garvey Park. And that was just a couple of days ago. This was just the noose, so there was no one attached to it. But even with the security cameras that they had, apparently there was no evidence of who put it there and um, how it got there. So God, this is really so disturbing. So there was also an incident where, sorry, um, you said there was an incident where there was just a noose without a body yeah yeah there was a news without a body and i got this one from nbc new york um this was published on the 17th so this was just yesterday it was found hanging outside of marcus Gar- or inside of marcus garvey park which is in east harlem um, i actually used to live right around the corner from that park and there are a lot of people there on a regular basis even throughout the night a lot of people hang out there so you know who's doing this where would they put this or, or how would they even get it up i mean to be hanging from a tree is, is, is not an easy thing. I mean, you have to climb it, a ladder. How do you even get up there? Yeah, it's not um, clearly. Yeah. So, yeah, apparently, the crime task force are looking into who did it, but uh, apparently there was nothing on the surveillance cameras that, that was reported in any way of how it got there. Yeah. I guess we all have to take a breath, right? Right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's one of those stories you hate to tell, but we should be aware um, and try to be vigilant if you if you see anything like this happening around you. Yeah. Before we move on, I just wanted to make sure our listeners know because sometimes people forget that commonly when we say a lynching, we talk we're we have the imagery of someone hanging from a tree or another high place, which is definitely true, but technically. Anytime someone is executed like extrajudicially, that is a lynching. So we already have like what happened with Ahmad, for example, would be considered a lynching. Like you have these people that took the law in their own hands or they took it upon themselves to teach this person a lesson or to invoke fear in a community by killing them outside of a legal process. So we definitely do have lynchings happening, period. Like even if Um, These instances with the nooses are not ruled to be um, murder. Like that's still something that is very much happening in this country and has never really stopped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jasmine. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we won't have to report more on this. But um, New Yorkers, I mean, I think sometimes we, we look at these problems like they happen other places, you know, somewhere south, somewhere not as progressive or uh, with the demographics that New York City holds. But unfortunately, this is a New York City story. So uh, be careful out there if you want. Yes, please be careful. Travel in groups if you can, if you must be out at all. And go to the march if you can. So we're going to move on. The next story today is from Matt. Take it away, Matt. Okay, so... The Supreme Court ruled last Monday uh, all about uh, 
uh, discrimination, uh, you, a fire rule that you can't fire someone based off of their sexual, their sexuality or their gender. Emily, you have some more details on this. Could, could you could you set me up a little bit? I do indeed. I have a lot of details, maybe too many, but um, yeah. I can absolutely set you up. Uh, okay, so I'm going to dive into what happened uh, this week on that Supreme Court decision. So um, research for this, come, for what I'm about to lay out, comes primarily from a couple Washington Post articles by uh, both written by Robert Barnes and also from an NPR article um, written by Selena Simmons-Duffin. Um, and all right, so from Washington Post, uh, the Supreme Court ruled Monday that a landmark federal civil rights law from the 1960s does protect gay and transgender workers, uh, which is a watershed ruling for LGBTQ rights. Um, the justices in the majority opinion said that, quote, Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits discrimination based on, based on sex, includes gay and transgender employees. And uh, yeah, it's a landmark victory for gay and transgender workers. Um, so the fact that the decision came three days after the tr uh, Trump administration finalized a rule that removes protections for LGBTQ people in health care and health insurance uh, is incredible timing. Uh, the protections in question that Trump uh, basically got rid of are, were included in the Obama's Affordable Care Act. Um, and they, the original rules established that it was illegal to discriminate uh, not only on race, color, national origin, age, or disability, but also on sex and certain healthcare pro health programs and activities. And what the Trump administration did was uh, define sex discrimination as only applying when someone faces discrimination of being female or male and does not protect people from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, so specifically is saying that if you are transgender... Um, and or LGBTQ plus like this does not include you. So he, they're like explicitly trying to take those people out of the protections. Um, and I got that information from NPR right there. Um, so back to the Supreme Court. So the cases are collectively known as Bostock v. Uh, Clayton County. And they combine two cases about whether gay workers are protected under the law and one case about whether transgender transgender workers are protected. Um, and it was kind of a surprise that the ruling sways the way it does because the Supreme Court right now is technically uh, conservative. There's the four liberal judges and there's four conservative judges, two of whom Trump um, in four years has appointed. And then, I mean, and technically Supreme Court Justice Roberts is also considered a conservative um, judge. So that makes the court conservative, even though he's a little bit more middle of the road these days. Um and then, yeah, what was really surprising was not only were the four liberal judges and Supreme and the Chief Justice Roberts agreeing, but also Neil Gorsuch, who is considered like definitely conservative and was Trump's first nominee for the court. Um, and him siding with the liberal judges is like the conservative, like people, conservative people in this country are like really pissed. Um, but it's it's this really kind of exciting, hopeful moment for everyone who's been really anxious about. Trump being able to get so many judges on the courts and what that means for protections for uh, people who need them. Um, but yeah, essentially Gorsuch is a really big fan of this thing called textualism, which means that like the literal words of a law are all that matters and not the intentions, not the results of that, um, which in this case helps 
the LGBTQ plus workers. Yeah. So um, because what he wrote in the majority opinion is the following. uh, We must decide whether an employer can fire someone simply for being homosexual or transgender. The answer is clear. An employer who fires an individual for being homosexual or transgender fires that person uh, for traits or actions it would not have questioned in members of a different sex. Sex plays a necessary and undisguisable role in the decision, exactly what Title VII forbids. Um, yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. Um, someone from uh, named James Essex from the ACLU said, quote, this is a huge victory for LGBTQ equality. The Supreme Court's clarification that it's unlawful to fire people because they're LGBTQ is the result of decades of advocates fighting for our rights. The court is caught up to the majority of our country, which already knows that discriminating against LGBTQ people is both unfair and against the law. Um, however, Gorsuch did note that the decision was, quote, narrow and, you know, doesn't address bathrooms, locker rooms or anything else of the kind that it just addresses like workplace discrimination um, and also noted that the question of whether religious. Oh, I have a dog barking here, too. Um, and I'm sorry about that. Um And also wrote that the question of how, like, the law protects religious freedoms and all that stuff um, is would to be decided in a future case. Like that, this does not specifically decide whether which one like outweighs the other in a legal case. Um, And then one last note here um, is I found really really interesting. So Indiana University law professor Steve Sanders noted that Gorsuch. Oh, and this is a quote, by the way. Um, I think from Washington Post, uh, noted that go- noted that Gorsuch, in writing his opinion, used the preferred nouns of the transgender plaintiff, Amy Stevens. Uh, quote, it may prove very significant that the opinion implicitly takes seriously the idea that a person can transition genders. That remains a controversial concept among many conservatives. Um, yeah, so it, I just wanted to note that that further is a point we've made on the show. The language we use and the words we choose to say matters and um, shows a level of respect or a lack thereof. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of information. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good background on what just happened and sets you up for the next part of the story, Matt. Go for it. Yeah, I, I was, um, I, I read an article on Monday and I was, I was aware that this ruling had happened, but it didn't, it, I, I wasn't, you know, I was at work and so much is going on. So it, it wasn't really real to me until my friend texted me and uh, she told me about how happy she was about the bill, or not the bill, about the ruling. And that's what this upcoming feature is all about. Which cool. we will play right now. Monday, I got a text from my friend Dasha that read, Yay for no more LGBTQ plus workplace discrimination via U.S. Supreme Court. OMG. Wow. Exclamation mark. Exclamation mark. Exclamation mark. And then there were eight more exclamation marks. I had heard about the decision earlier in the day, but I didn't give it enough weight or importance at the time. Hi, Matthew. I forgot, like, how... How great of a voice you have. Oh, thank you. Dodger snapped me out of my virus slump and reminded me that a win is a win and that things can get better. 
a year ago or so, I interviewed Daja for an old show. The interview was about her bipolar disorder. Going on in my life, I've got bipolar disorder. I'm a transgender woman, and I am also a pansexual woman. But today is just a conversation about the recent Supreme Court ruling. Here you go. When I saw the ruling, it didn't register as that big of a... I mean, it, yeah, it just didn't register that much because, I, you know, I'm a cis, straight dude just, like, trying to, you know, go to work and not get this virus, right? But then my friend oh, wow. Daja sent me a text and really, I was like, oh, shit, this, was, this is a big deal. And your text was so happy and excited and i was like ymca you know it's happening at the ymca (laughs) and now america is just the same (laughs) (laughs) how about that Uh, and daja you 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 are i danced for like an hour after that decision yeah yeah i got on my deck and i was doing the ymca like actions with my hands and i was listening to she a diamond song um american pie you know just want my peace mm. it was wonderful that's so beautiful it must have felt great because you've had trouble at work uh you you've quit jobs before because of just the language of uh the embedded gender-based language that we use in english yeah for the most part you know there's other things too like being disrespected or um you know more like anti-feminist anti-womanist kind of things like that's just now i do things around here you know i'm just gonna be a lower person a lower woman you know and even a much lower woman than a cis woman i'm a trans woman and I don't really pass that well, so I'm screwed. <laughs> this could have been awful, and a lot of people are receiving some. I mean, it's not a. Every, I think most people know that one Supreme Court ruling doesn't make things okay, um, but but it no, is helpful. No. So the U.S. Supreme Court, as we know, is the law of the land, the highest court in America. So when they say something, you know, all of us are, well, listening, unless you're a sit hat man named Matthew, but... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, whatever they say, who cares? You know, but anyway, <laughs> of course I was listening, I mean... Amy Stevens is the one I've been following of these three cases that were all brought together as a part of this decision. And, um, you know, Amy C- Stevens was a trans woman out of, I think, Michigan, if I remember that right. And she was fired for transitioning at her funeral home job. So I heard about that, you know, kind of when it came about. I want to say it was a couple of years ago. It was quite a while ago. You know, and then when I heard the plight that Amy Stevens was dying from kidney disease, Mm. you know, amidst all of this, you know, hubbub, I mean, so for someone in the trans community, a trans woman, no less, 
Getting your court, your case to the U.S. Supreme Court is no small fee. I don't know the details, but yeah, she did uh, die just, um, uh, was it last December? I'm not sure, but it was recently, and it was really sad. I mean, you yeah. know, the news remarked on how sad that was, but the joy of Amy Stevens' case, as one of the three brought, you know, about this decision, was that she's a trans woman in America in 2020. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but trans women who try to get into Congress, you know, get elected, you know, a few years ago, the average campaign contribution was $5,000, like not per person, but per campaign. That's not a lot of support. Really low. An article published by the Center for Public Integrity has a title that seems to prove that point. Transgender political candidates are increasingly common. The money backing them is not. Quote, Only three of them, Democratic candidates, Alexandra Chandler in Massachusetts, Brianna Westbrook in Arizona, and once imprisoned whistleblower Chelsea Manning in Maryland, raised more than $5,000 each. During the 2016 election cycle, the average winner of a U.S. House seat spent about $1.5 million. Were you holding out? Were you following this closely? Um, As closely as I can, you know, I mean, I kind of give hope on America this last year about these issues. Um, It was a really hard year. Uh, I went through a lot of anguish and um, inner turmoil. Like I started thinking, is America even America anymore? Is there any hope in the law at all? You know, so to see that two conservative judges voted for this decision on, you know, yay, um, that really, really transformed what I've been thinking. Sure, so I'm really excited to report that when I was dancing around for an hour, I discovered a new feeling. Um, At least I thought it was new, but back in high school, Um, I felt like, oh my gosh, so much hope, you know, so much promise of uh, better days. You know, I wouldn't have to sleep in my parents' basement anymore. Someday I'd get a mansion, you know, if I worked hard enough. But my point is in high school, I had like all of this like bound up joy. And I felt at home in my country. But I haven't felt that way since then until yesterday when I heard the news. And I didn't even realize it was gone. When I look at all this stuff, it's, I'm 44 years old. And I'm thinking, how long is this going to take? <laughs> oh when are we going to wake up and just be like, hey, American neighbor? Um, I can go to work here. Um, I can participate in community here. You know, I was mentioning earlier, it's hard, though. It's hard. There's a lot of embedded language that likes to be discriminatory. But most of the time, it's when people don't mean it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, It hurts all the same. 
you know, but I'm allowed to do things here. And now I'm allowed to do things in all 50 states to an extent. You know, like the whole country. So like earlier you're telling me, you know, like you're just being a cishet guy, you know, doing your thing. Well, now I get to do that to a much bigger extent. I can't be fired from a job for who I am anymore. In closing, um, I would say, hang on, America. Because <laughs> America's coming for you. That is a oddly uh, and beautifully hopeful statement. The last time I interviewed Dasha, she talked about hope as well. It's hard having a mental illness and being a gender and sexual minority. I mean, it's hard being human anyway. But a year ago, when I interviewed her about her difficulties, she had hope then. I don't know where I get my hope from. I used to say God, but I think it's actually more internal than that. I think I'm just so incredibly pissed off and driven. You know, that that's probably what gets me through the days. But I will succeed one day, you know. But as for this day, I'm alive. And that says a lot for someone with bipolar disorder. Um, a lot of us don't make it this far. I'm Matthew Schneeman, reporting for Objection to the Rule. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule, live from Radio Free Brooklyn, or pre-recorded, rather. <laughs> We're going to move into the next uh, story that we have here. And Sarah, welcome back. You're up. Oh. Hey. So I'm doing a world story this week, but it's it's a it starts with a national story. Um, the... Uh, the name of the book is called The Room Where It Happened, and there's an uproar over the, this newly released book written by John Bolton, who's the former national security advisor to the Trump administration. Um, the Washington Post declares that although he should have told us sooner, the revelations in The Room Where It Happened are a knockout and a wake-up call to Republicans who defended Trump and belittled his critics. Others, both Democratic and Republican representatives, are criticizing the account for different reasons. Trump supporters are calling it bias and a desire for publicity, while House Democrats are angry that Bolton did not appear for their impeachment inquiry, but yet criticizes the impeachment in the book, while stating that Trump should have been impeached for many egregious reasons, yet in summary, the Democrats didn't do it right. Bolton alleges that Democrats should have brought in their impeachment inquiries instead of focusing only on dealings with the Ukraine. It is curious to all of us that he wasn't willing to say this stuff to con Congress, but he's willing to say it when he can make money, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut told CNN's Jake Tapper. He said, I'm not suggesting that what he's saying isn't true. I'm just saying that you do have to question his motives. Bolton, who is a longtime conservative, was fired by Trump last September and has been a controversial figure in politics since George W. Bush's administration when he openly criticized the UN and advocated for U US aggression over compromise policy-wise. I'm inclined to dismiss Bolton as a harsh, militaristic conservative with little overlap in what I consider to be strong values and good, good character judgments. 
but there's no denying that the information he has presented is, if true, potentially groundbreaking in the case for ousting Trump from the White House. The book presents important information, most notably that Bolton was present when Trump asked Chinese President Xi Jinping for re-election assistance. CNN states that Bolton described a conversation between the two world leaders at the June 2019 G20 meeting in Osaka, Japan, where Trump told Xi that Midwestern farmers were key to his re-election in November 2020. Trump urged Xi to buoy his political fortunes by buying American agricultural products, linking a promise to waive some tariffs on China in exchange. Trump, quote, stressed the importance of farmers and increased Chinese purchases of soybeans and wheat in the electoral outcome, Bolton wrote. Perhaps even more disturbing is the allegation that Trump supported President Xi's decision to build mass concentration camps in China to re-educate, quote, re-educate and imprison Uyghur Muslims, presumably in an attempt to favor trade negotiations over sanctions on human rights violations toward the Muslim community. In, the, in his book, Bolton alleges that Trump wanted to call Attorney General Barr in order to arrest CNN reporters and force them to serve time in jail after reporting on Trump's meetings on Afghanistan. In addition to asking his own advisors in Helsinki if Finland was part of Russia, question mark, and also complaining <laughs> extensively about sanctioning Russia, the list goes on. This is not the first account of Trump acting shockingly uninformed in the face of world diplomacy and acting much more concerned with media optics and re-election. But if it's true, if his information is true, it does put forth new evidence against why Trump should have been impeached. There is bipartisan criticism against Bolton for putting out the book too little too late. But as Bolton has always been a, a staunch conservative, inherently this means that there's also bipartisan, bipartisan support against Trump, which could work in favor of the left. After this week's Supreme Court decision on LGBTQ plus rights and the growing power of the Black Lives Matter movement, while this book isn't focused on liberal social issues, it could play a part in getting rid of Trump and bolstering marginalized voices, even if Bolton himself gets to benefit from capitalism, i.e. his book sales on Amazon. Of course, Trump has denounced Bolton on Twitter as a wacko, which is not anything new. Uh, my sources are from CNN, BBC, Washington Post, and The Guardian. I'm sort of interested in reading it because it's so controversial. Um, how do you guys feel? Yeah, it, it's weird that um, that it'll, it'll be just another option, another chance for people to just not believe something, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll say all these things and then people will say, uh, you know, like, oh, you can't prove that. Or like, oh, he's just bitter. And it's like, okay, here's, a, here's another <laughs> another step up the bullshit ladder. Yeah. No, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say, um yeah, the bullshit ladder too is also it works in a lot of ways. I saw this great New Yorker cartoon that, you know, is is kind of saying, Here's this giant book, all the things I saw in the White House and this tiny book next to it says like the things I did about it. So it's like <laughs> you know, like you're using it to make all this money now. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is I shitty. Like I Sorry, Jasmine, go ahead. Sorry, I, I agree with that, Emily, and what Sarah was saying during her story about it being too little, too late. And it's like after you've already reaped whatever, but like you didn't speak up when it would have made a difference, but you want to be patted on the back at this point and you want to profit off of saying something now, like after so much destruction has happened. Like it's not the same scale, but it reminds me of like one of the officers who was either involved in Eric Garner's murder 
coming out on Facebook with this long, like, oh, like, I, I just have to get this off my chest. And it's like, yeah, like, now that your pension is secure, you want to say this and that, but you didn't do anything when it would have made any real substantive difference. So I, I don't know. I probably won't read it. I'm not particularly interested in what he has to say, because nothing that this administration or a lot of other president's administrations would do to stay in power shocks me at this point. Mm. Do you think that when, if, if he would have testified, uh, when he was, was he subpoenaed or whenever that he said he was, he said he would have testified if he had been subpoenaed and he wasn't, but basically I agree with Jasmine. He should have anyway, yeah. if he had all this incredible information, um, well, the whole question is, do you think the um, the Republicans would have acted on that? Like, would that have gotten him impeached or Donald Trump impeached? I don't know, but he's essentially saying that it, it, it would have had a bigger chance. But he's basically, I don't know, just like... I guess we won't I, know now. <laughs> there's the ridiculousness of, like, O.J. Simpson's, like, if I did it kind of thing. Like, you... If you did what, like you, he had the if he had the information, why didn't he share it at the time? And if he thought that the Democrats were doing, it's almost just like he's written this book to tell Democrats that they did a bad job trying to impeach Trump, and he obviously should have been impeached. So it's kind of a, I definitely to your point, Jasmine, I definitely don't want to buy the book. I don't want him to get any money from me, but I'm I'm just interested in like what the response will be from. Yeah, I got to say, I want to hear the hot goss, though. Like, I'm just I, I know that it's almost like nothing. It, it really is true. Nothing will shock me. And I also will just probably be like, you know, all these, there's gonna be all these think pieces just like highlighting the top five most shocking things or whatever. But it's like I it's bad, but like I like need to know it like taps into that part of my brain. That's just like you got like You got to tell me, you know, how salacious this really is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> just personal. That's my personal hangups on the situation. I guess. I feel like um, just everyone a little, up. a little too much, too late. But I'm I'm with the with you guys saying that he should have came out. But you know, we don't know the scare tax tactics that exist in this administration. You know, even the stories that have come out already haven't really had enough girth to do anything. So yeah, you know, we Indeed. shall. He's not the right, first one point. to write a book and come out about it. You know, there's been yeah. others during this administration and it, the power didn't, it didn't really hold still, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone vote. Also like, there was also like the question of what were you doing when these things were actually happening as well? Like not just being able to testify about it after the fact, but if you're in some kind of position of power and authority as these things are happening in real time and you didn't do anything, when you claim to think they were wrong, like I, I, I got nothing for you. Yeah, that's a weird chapter to write, right? <laughs> you know, like, what do you think he's thinking when he's like, this was an awful thing. If only someone would wait a year late. You know, like, what? Like, how do you? I mean, the only good thing that I can think that to come of this that he would maybe not have intended, but he is a conservative white man that has held like staunchly conservative views. So he might have people that would pick it up that are conservatives that might listen to him because of, because of his position of power, which 
is possibly a good thing in order to turn people against Trump. Yeah. I mean, I, that's a little bit like one dimensional, but. And, you know, the truth is always good. It's always good to know more about what's going on. So I won't get with him writing a book. It's just, yeah, if, if he's trying to save his uh, soul, you know, that's. Um... Yeah, he can go to hell as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, 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 tell him how you really feel, Jasmine. <laughs> yeah it's just really like and then there's also people who are like I, I also think it's important to note that someone being anti-Trump and being against him doesn't mean that they're necessarily against what he's done it's just the way that he does it is unsavory to them mm-hmm. so you know that's yes. also what some, there's, like, there's plenty of people who have this mindset like once he is no longer in office whenever that happens that there's nothing else to be done. And that to me is pretty disturbing. Yeah. I was looking into um, my parents uh, used to be Republican, but now they can't. Right. So uh, they're like shifting to libertarianism. And so it's, 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 it's still, it's gross because libertarianism is just like so anti-government and like so ahistorical. And, and I'm wondering if that's going to be a big trend is just like this like anti-government libertarians that like don't like trump but still don't want to share you know i think it might be a little different at this point but i guess the future will tell so we're gonna move on we in the interest of time as emily would say we're gonna move on to jasmine so you can bring us this incredible story you've built uh go for it this news story is not actually new. Um, last week, Teresa talked to us about the history of Juneteenth in the United States. But this week, I learned that Juneteenth is also celebrated in another country. So the information I'm bringing to you today is from an article in the Texas Monthly by Wes Ferguson called Why This Mexican Village Celebrates Juneteenth. So there's a village in Coahuila in northern Mexico called Nacimiento de los Negros, which translates to birth of the blacks. And this village holds a festival and a reunion on June 19th called Dia de los Negros, or the Day of the Blacks. So there's a pair of sisters that were interviewed for the article named Karina Harrington and Miriam Toralba of San Antonio, and they travel to this village every year to celebrate. And they didn't know until recently that the holiday stateside was called Juneteenth. The people who, sell, who settled in Nacimiento were called Negros Mascogos in Spanish or Black Seminoles in English. They grew from a group of runaway slaves that were given asylum in Spanish Florida. And they lived among the Seminoles until they were forcibly removed to Oklahoma. When conditions in Oklahoma like weren't conducive to them staying and because there was the risk of being kidnapped by slave hunters and being sold into slavery, these um, black Seminoles, many of them decided to return to Mexico. After the Civil War, several of Nacimiento's Mascolos came back to the U.S. with their families. And in 1870, they worked as Indian scouts in the army in Fort Duncan at in Eagle Pass and also at Fort Clark in Brackettville, Texas. But in 1876, the U.S. military ordered them to leave. 
Most of them returned to Nacimiento in Mexico, but some remained in Brackettville, Texas. Even though now Black people are in the minority in northern Mexico today, at the time, like in the mid-1800s, northern Mexico was home to thousands who had escaped slavery in the United States. Mexico outlawed slavery in 1829 under President Vicente Guerrero, who was the son of a Black father and an indigenous mother and the second president of Mexico. And in 1836, when Texas declared its independence from Mexico, there were about 5,000 slaves in Texas. But by 1860, there were 182,500, which is almost a third of the state's population. Maria Esther Hammock, who's a PhD candidate at UT of Austin, estimated that as many as 10,000 slaves followed a Southern Underground Railroad route to Mexico. Most of them left Texas, but she also found evidence of slaves escaping to Mexico from as far away as North Carolina. And during this time that slaves were leaving, instead of going up north to go south, the Texas Rangers often acted as slave catchers for hire along the southern border. In 1855, Texas Ranger James Callahan led a 110-man raid across the Rio Grande to return escaped slaves who were living in Mexico. He was turned back by the Mexican army, and therefore his men sacked and burned Piedras Negras, which is a Mexican city, before they went back to the U.S., so currently in Nacimiento, um, festivities for Juneteenth include a trail ride through fields. There's Mescogo descendants who gather to barbecue and boil ears of corn over wood fires and share traditional dishes like sosque, a corn-based drink, and a sweet potato bread called tetapun. Children also sing um, songs that have been passed down from their Black Seminole ancestors who sang in an English dialect that only survives in the lyrics of slave-era spirituals. So I, I really enjoyed learning about this because I had no idea, and there's a lot of different um, dominant narratives that were taught in history that erase other narratives that are also as important because... I don't know about you all, but I would assume when you did learn about slaves who escaped, the majority of what you learn about is people going up north or trying to get to Canada. So knowing that there's, there were thousands of um, Black people who were running to another neighboring country that had abolished slavery and they have like these strong regional traditions, I thought was, I thought it was great. So... I wanted to share that with everyone in the spirit of Juneteenth. It's not just the U.S. or just a Texas celebration. Yeah, I love to see the reach of uh, people of color's movements uh, across the continents. When I was in grad school, I actually did a project about how um, people of color in America don't really have their own celebration of cultural heritage. It was a project I did for an anthropology course, and I kind of looked at the ones that we have, like Mardi Gras, um, Carnival, but all of these don't specifically speak to the African-American experience. Um, and so when I was doing my research last week, I was very pleasantly surprised to find out that there were these type of um, 
celebrations all over the globe. I think this is a great story. And thank you so much for bringing it. And hey, my job declared Juneteenth an official holiday this week. So the work is being done. Me too. We're not going tomorrow. Or Well, no one's going anywhere, but. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, that's Texas Rangers. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's another part of it, too. You know, we've been talking a lot about um, police brutality and where police came from. So this is another example of, you know, the origin of policing in this country, as we know it, is very much tied up with slave catching and keeping certain populations under control. But on a bright note, on a somewhat related note, tomorrow through BAM, you can watch this film called Miss Juneteenth that I've been very excited about watching and it's set in Texas. Um, So as Teresa was saying, like there are so many different, you know, there's more than one piece of African-American history. There's so many African-American histories and like regional traditions. So. I'm looking forward to seeing a movie that highlights um, a Texas mm. tradition of celebrating Miss Juneteenth with a pageant. Yeah, so that's great. if I you're think, able to watch, I would support it. Yeah, I think is Kendrick Sampson in that, Jasmine? I'm pretty sure I, I saw a preview for yeah. it and he's yeah. he's amazing. He is a wonderful actor on um, Insecure and he does a ton of um, civil rights, like social justice activism. So if everyone should follow him on Instagram, mm. he's amazing. I'm excited for that movie too. And Jasmine, yeah, we should have- I, I, I love Nicole Bahari, who's the main actress and I've followed her career for a while. I didn't know Kendrick was in it until recently, but I love his voice. He could read me the phone book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's got like that nice that draw. So yeah, I'm I'm excited. It'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what definitely. Oh, I, I was saying we we should do a a movie show because uh, because you you like film a lot, and I thought I thought it'd be great to have like Jasmine presents and like pick like a couple movies with historical topics about. Oh, that's fun. Well, I you know what? That, that's. That sounds like work being assigned to me oh. for Juneteenth. So I'm gonna I'll I'll file that away. I'll think <laughs> about it. Awesome. Well that was a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I hope that everybody who is listening is celebrating um, this weekend. I know it's been a lot going on, but one of the things that I just want to highlight about Juneteenth that I love so much, you know, growing up in the Midwest. There was always a festival. There was always a dance. There was always a song. There was always something, you know, and while my family didn't necessarily um, make it a holiday, it was always something in the community and that I appreciate it. So with all of the strife that we've been going through, tomorrow is a day of celebration. So even if you do go tomorrow to go protest, just remember to smile, enjoy something beautiful um, and just really celebrate the history that is this country's history, uh, so rich with experiences of African Americans and their accomplishments. Yeah. All right. So that's my PSA. <laughs> On to our final story of the day, which is our good news story. Go ahead, Emily. Take it away. All righty. Yeah. So this uh, is going to circle back to some other stuff we covered. So it's uh, the good news story today is more good news from the Supreme Court. Um, so I'm just going to dive right in. So um, so besides the the ruling on LGBTQ plus discrimination in the workplace that we talked about earlier um, today, as of recording, which is Thursday, um, 
quote, the Supreme Court ruled that the Trump administration may not immediately proceed with its plan to end a program protecting about 700,000 young immigrants known as Dreamers from deportation. The court's ruling was a blow to one of Trump's central campaign promises that as president, he would immediately terminate, as he said, um, an an executive order by former uh, President Barack Obama that Mr. Trump had called an illegal executive amnesty for hundreds of thousands of young immigrants. And that's all from the New York Times. Um, Chief Justice uh, John G. Roberts Jr. sided with the liberal judges on the majority opinion. Uh, which upholds that the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, which is more commonly known as DACA, uh, cannot be terminated immediately. They found that the Trump administration did not follow procedure or give a good enough reason for terminating the program. Uh, So it's not really a comment on the policy itself, but how the Trump administration went about trying to terminate it. But it is still good news. Um, (laughs) So this and the LGBTQ plus decision are surprising, but happily so in light of the fact that, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, Trump has been making strides in making the Supreme Court more conservative. Um, So it's just kind of, you know, some surprise good news there. Um, I threw in this note earlier when I was writing this. Um, but so two of Trump's nominees that are conservative that he has added since he became president, which is Justices Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, um, join Clarence Thomas and Alito on the conservative side of the court. And I actually was in high school with Alito's daughter when he was appointed to the Supreme Court by George W. Um, so that was a weird time to be <laughs> in high school. Um, but anyway, yeah, Whoa. it was weird. Yeah, she was on the swim team. I, she was a few years older than me. I didn't really know her, but it was like a big deal or whatever. Didn't you um, also like go to college with EJ Johnson? I went something? to sleepaway camp with him. <laughs> I love collecting stories and I never forget anything. So like, I think I think if everyone like remembered stuff as intensely as I do, they would have as many stories <laughs> like that. Um, I just never forget anything. Anyway, Six okay. Degrees of Emily. Truly. <laughs> I love it. Um, anyway, so back to the Supreme Court, though. Enough about me, as much as I love making everything about me. Um, so other Supreme Court good news. Um, earlier this week, the court turned down, uh, quote, a batch of challenges from gun rights groups eager to expand Second Amendment rights. And it rejected the Trump administration's request to review California's attempts to provide sanctuary to undocumented in- immigrants. Um, that's from The Washington Post. And both of those things are good news to people who wish to see uh, who don't wish to see or who do wish to see greater gun regulations and greater protections for undocumented immigrants. So when the court decides to not hear a case, it's sent back down to lower courts. So those lower court decisions usually stand or there has to be a different challenge. But because those challenges were being brought by like NRA advocates and stuff, this is good news for people who are not fans of the NRA. Um, yes. Uh, however, it is not always good news when the courts decide not to review a case. Um, Jasmine um, pass me along this pass along the story to me. So I, you know, as long this is the good news category, but I do want to highlight this other issue. Um, so the court um, also refused to quote reexamine the much criticized modern day legal doctrine created by judges that has shielded police and other government officials from lawsuits over their conduct. Um, and this whole little bit is from an NPR article on uh, what is known as qualified immunity. So the article explains really well what that is and how it works. So quote. Um, Developed in recent decades by the High Court, the Qualified Immunity Doctrine, as applied to police, initially asked two questions. Did police use excessive force? And if they did, should they have known that their conduct was illegal because it violated 
what they call a clearly established prior court ruling that barred such conduct. The idea behind the doctrine was to protect police from frivolous lawsuits and allow some, quote, breathing room for police mistakes that involve split second judgments in um, intense and dangerous situations. But in practice, because this, the recent Supreme Court decisions, because of recent Supreme Court decisions, lower courts and um, have most often dismissed police misconduct lawsuits on grounds that there is no prior court decision with nearly identical facts. Um, so it's it's, you know. Essentially, the, the Supreme Court decided not to hear a case that on whether, you know, police officers have too, you know, um, have too much immunity from when they fuck up and do bad things and kill people. Um, so that's rough because that means that kind of that sort of situation is going to stand until maybe, you know, Congress takes action, things like that on a federal level. Um, but yeah, so the court's role in society is complicated and it sometimes, you know, is good and some, you know, and good and bad. And of course that, you know, that's an opinion based on who's reviewing what's being looked at. But, um, yeah, anyway, so, but regardless of all that, you know, it's a good day when Trump is mad enough to tweet about it. Um, and he did tweet about the Supreme Court today. At 1.24 p.m., he said he wrote, quote, I will be releasing releasing a new list of conservative Supreme Court justice nominees, which may include some or many of those already on the list by September 1st, 2020. If given the opportunity, I will only choose from this list, as in the past, a conservative Supreme Court justice. Based on decisions being rendered now, this list is more important than ever before. Second Amendment, right to life, religious liberty, etc. Vote 2020. Um, uh, that's Trump. Um, but yeah, I do happen to agree with the last two words of that tweet. Everyone go vote. (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, the information for this comes from some articles I previously mentioned, um, from the Washington post, as well as a June 15th article on NPR by Nina Totenberg and a New York times article from June 18th by Adam Liptak and Michael D. Shear. So that was my long-winded recap of some mostly good news from the Supreme Court this week. (laughs) It was a big court week, but just like we're trying to stay on top of the news and stay active, I encourage our listeners to whatever the courts say, you need to stay engaged, stay active, stay alert, and keep fighting. Uh, It takes a lot to get to the point where you bring something to the Supreme Court, and not everyone has the resources to do that and people on the ground still do what they feel like doing so you can't you can celebrate but you have to remember that we have to continue fighting to keep these rights and to actually have them mean something in our day-to-day life well we'd like to thank you guys for listening to objection to the rule you can catch all of our older episodes on the the radio free brooklyn website or anywhere where you can find apple's itunes podcast Stay tuned for more independent radio. I'm Teresa. I'm Jasmine. (laughs) I'm Emily. I'm Matthew. I'm Sarah. And we will see you next week. (laughs) Peace. Peace.